0: A little about myself, uh, I'm a married man. That's my wife, Carol, <laughs> and she has our dog Maisie, rhymes with Daisy. And you are free to uh, play with our dog. Uh huh. The dog um, likes to chew on fingers mm-hmm, and lick you. So that's just it. We have three grown boys. We got Nathan, who's uh, Married to Jamie, lives in Enumclaw, works for Skills Incorporated, makes parts for Boeing airplanes, and I tell him to do a good job. He's the quality control guy. And then um, Evan is dating Colette, and uh, that's a she's a nice lady, and uh, I hope that works. Um, He works for the city of Kirkland. And then uh, Cameron, our youngest, lives uh, up in Bellingham, and he is a carpenter, and he's married to Megan who works in like this incredible, what do you call it, like a pastry shop. It's like to die for pastries. It's like, oh my gosh. So that's my family. um, I grew up in Bellingham until I was so-so, like college age and graduated from Western and then uh, moved to the University of Missouri and started a Catholic group there. And then I came back and Carol and I got married and we, uh, we took over the Chi Alpha Group at Central in 1981. And so we've kind of been hanging out in Ellensburg ever since. So that's a little bit about me. You ready to begin? Okay, our, our theme this weekend is going to be called The Messiah, a love story. Any of you besides me like love? It's like I, I am personally all about love. Um, have you ever been in love? Okay, uh, Nice. Uh, uh, would you like to be in love? Uh, We've got to see some more voting here. Anybody want to be in lo- Okay, guys, look around. Okay, and then um, how many of you would like to be in love? If it was guaranteed it would work out. More hands here? Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's good. So the story of Carol and I breaking up by Michael Mowry. If you want to get the real story, ask Carol. Um, <laughs> So I was a student who got involved in the Chi Alpha group up at Western Washington, and I knew that God wanted me uh, to take the internship and go into campus ministry, so I did. And after I was done, I knew that I was supposed to go somewhere else and start a campus ministry, and so uh, I asked Carol to marry me, and um, she said, whoa, I just can't say yes right now and why couldn't she say yes well there was a lot of reasons and you can ask her but one of them was she had a really good friend whose dad was a minister and he never spent much time with the family and she thought oh gosh i can't marry a guy who's going to go to the minister ministry because you know that's just not what i'm looking for yeah so her preconceived notion uh Maybe who I was got in the way uh, of our relationship and so luckily um, she had a talk with our campus minister Brady and uh, Brady I love Brady because Carol had a good talk with him and then <laughs> things were better uh, so I waited what seemed like a long time for Carol to realize that my love for her was real that it wouldn't change that I wasn't that minister that her friend had a dad and my question for you is it possible that God has been waiting a long time for you to view him as he really is I think the answer for a lot of people on planet earth and I think we've got over 7 billion now don't we Almost $8 Yeah, I think there's probably a lot of people that he is waiting for to realize who he really is and that he does love them dearly. (sighs) Well, how did this sad state of affairs come about that there's so many people on the earth, maybe including some of us, that don't have a, a crystal clear idea of who God is and how much he loves us? Well, there's this terrible story. The Bible is full of terrible stories. And it's in chapter 3. You get chapter 1, chapter 2. And by chapter 3, things go south. And in chapter 3, we're going to have a look at it. uh, The first 13 verses, we find out the terrible story of how the first human beings came to have a misconception about who God is. And his relationship with them. Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 13. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And you guys know that the serpent um, is the creature that is also known as the devil and and Satan and and all these things. So anyway, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals uh, the Lord God had made. And and he said to the woman, did God really say, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from uh, the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden and that you must not touch it or you shall die. Well, she added that because God never said that. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God knowing good and evil when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree uh, was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom she took some and she ate and she also um, gave some to her husband hey hubby come here look at this good stuff Um, who was with her and he ate and then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. This is the weirdest story ever, isn't it? You eat fruit, and then you realize you're naked. <laughs> Whoa. Don't tell the fruit growers in the U.S. about this story. This is bad <laughs> press. Um, and you guys, it never says it was an apple. Though The, the, the story is always depicted in art with apples, Right? Yeah, it's not there. It wasn't an apple. We don't know what it was. And this is the Middle East. Did they have like apples? Yes? No? Who knows? I wasn't there. Um, So they realized they were naked so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day uh, code for like, you know, when the sun sets and breeze starts picking up and it's getting cooler again after the hot day and they hid from the uh, Lord God among the trees of the garden but the Lord God called out to the man (coughs) Adam man where are you and he answered I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid and he said who told you that you were naked have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from Uh, yeah the man said uh, uh, actually it was the woman you put her here with me. You put her here, remember? Uh, notice the blame shifting going on right away. Good grief. These guys are just like us. She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Uh, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, uh, it really wasn't me. Uh, the serpent, I added that part, see? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Wow. So this is where all the sadness In the Bible starts is in the third chapter, and people have had misconceptions even from the very beginning. The woman and then the man decided to trust the serpent more than their creator. I just want to ask you, is there somebody or something, some ism that you're trusting more than your creator, the one that knit you together in your mother's womb, The one that knows all the days that are ordained for you before there's yet one of them. The one who gives you life and breath and everything else. Are you trusting something else to tell you what reality is, what truth is, what life is all about? So Adam and Eve doubted God's very character chose somehow to align themselves with the false credibility of uh, the serpent who is later called in John 8 the father of lies, our ancestors and everybody since has been following this pattern. And sad but true, you and I in various degrees have been following that same pattern of not fully trusting the good and loving creator father who made us to rule the earth with him, and we'll learn a little bit more about that um, tomorrow morning, um, has been waiting for all of us to realize the truth. He's been waiting for us to get it. He's given us the word of God. He's given us his son, Jesus. He's given us tons of people who have come to know him to, to talk to us. And, you know, he's given us this weekend to take another step closer to him. Hasn't he? And isn't that cool? That he's that patient and that loving and that good that he got this many of us here just to think about him and just to try to figure out how we can be a part of his people as well. So here's the point the Father of Love wants to share his love with you personally and with us corporately, he's about everybody. Will you have him? Will you say yes? To what degree will you open up your heart to let him love you and explain himself to you and draw you near and help you get used to him? God has been on a quest, I think this is the next slide, uh, to rescue the people of this world that he loves so much, a world that in varying degrees have rejected him distanced themselves from him mistrusted him gone their own way foolishly followed the the father of lies the serpent the Satan uh, the devil so where would we begin to understand God's rescue plan oh it says it right there let's have a look at Mark chapter 1 verse 20 verses and um, I'm already getting dry so I need a drink of water so we need an New International Version t- to read these 20 verses? Braden, you touch my heart with your kindness. Thanks so much. Uh, These 20 verses are one of the best summary of the good news of God's rescue plan that that I know about. Um, I encourage you to, to study them. Mark says in the very first sentences of the book that he writes to explain the good news of God's rescue plan, he says Jesus is the Messiah and Jesus is the son of God. We have kind of an inkling of what the son of God might mean, but maybe less of us have less of an understanding uh, of what it might mean to be a Messiah. So we'll try to unpack that a little bit more as the weekend goes on. So God's rescue plan is to send a Messiah who is his very own son to earth to start straightening out the mess that the great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents of us all kind of got us into of starting this pattern of mistrust and misbelief in who God really is. Um, Dan, who's working back there on the projection, uh, and I both went to Regent College, which is a really good seminary up in Vancouver, British Columbia, and um, I studied Old Testament uh, biblical studies. I think Dan might have, too. Is that what you studied, Dan? Okay, so I was mistaken. What did you study, Dan? Oh, you got interdisciplinary. I just got Old Testament. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, I, I loved it up there, and I fell in love with the first half of the book, the left half of the book, the, the good part of the book. <laughs> and I want to encourage you guys, don't, don't – don't leave that one behind. Don't, don't just jump right into the New Testament, because I think um, I think really the Old Testament is our primary source, and I think that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the explanation or fulfillment of the Old Testament, and then I think the rest of the New Testament is like commentary on that fulfillment of the Old Testament. And so you've got to get the whole book in there. Don't, don't like. think part of it is less important, okay? That's my encouragement. And so I will be jumping back and forth between Mark, and uh, we'll, we'll get into a little bit of John, but there'll be some Old Testament too, okay? So what is a Messiah? I think this is the, the third slide. Uh, basically, it means the anointed one. And where does this idea come from? It, it comes from the idea of the priests, when the, they would anoint other priests, or anoint, say, a king, um, They would fill up a ram's horn full of, like, olive oil. You guys know, like, rams have really big horns. And then you fill it up with a lot of olive oil. And then, if you want to um, show that God has chosen or anointed somebody to be the king or a priest, you just pour the oil on them. it seems like a really messy ceremony to me. But maybe... Maybe if we understood that the olive oil is representative of the very presence of God. The presence of God is to wash over that person, to, to drip on them, to drench them uh, with what it's going to take to do the job that God has asked them to do. The presence of God enables the person to do the job he wants them to do, play the role he's asked them to play, whether it be priest or or king. And the ram's horn is really symbolic of the power of God. Not just the presence of God, but it's the enablement of God, because just like a ram is a really tough animal, don't butt heads with a ram. Okay. The power of God and the presence of God. And so the Messiah is kind of a way of saying the King or God's chosen one, God's anointed one, God's empowered one. And we see an example of this whole anointing process in First Samuel sixteen one. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse at Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be the king. Uh, First Samuel 16.3 says, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him be like David, um, in the presence of his brothers and from that day on and from that day on the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. The spirit of God powerfully enabled David to play the role on earth that God had asked him to play. Question for you. Do you think God is still in the business of anointing human beings to do the thing that he's asking them to do on earth? if you've read your Bible at all, I, you'd probably come around to the same conclusion I did, that yes. And um, let's go a little deeper. Do you think God might be into the business of wanting to anoint you with the oil of his presence, of his spirit, of his power, to play the role that you're supposed to play in planet Earth? And now, if you've read the Old and New Testaments, you'd probably get around to the same conclusion that I've come to. The the answer is yes. God wants to give you his spirit, his very presence and power to help you to play the role, the person-sized piece in the great puzzle of his plan for planet Earth. How is that for alliteration? Uh Okay, thanks. What else did we learn in the Old Testament about Messiahs? Um, God had this rescue plan. He was going to ultimately come with the Messiah. He told a guy named Abraham, also known as the father of our place, of our faith, uh, that God said he'd make Abraham a blessing and that through him all the people on earth would be blessed. So out of Abraham's family was to come forth this Messiah one day. This is the beginning description of God's rescue plan. Whereas our ancestors kind of brought the curse of falling after the devil and the curse of not trusting God or fully understanding Him, uh, through Abraham and his family, that was going to get turned around and that the blessing would come where we would begin to see that God could be trusted and that He really did love us and that was going to come to all its fulfillment and fruition in Jesus. I remember King David he was told that his family line would produce a Messiah king who would rule the earth with an eternal kingdom. That's like more than four years. That's like more than six years. That's more than like two terms. That's more like a lifetime. That's that's like more than a lifetime. That's like all the lifetimes. An eternal kingdom. Messiah was going to come and start an eternal kingdom of God's reign on planet Earth. What does Isaiah tell us? Let's look at Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. Shane, I think you volunteered before. Where's Isaiah? It's right in the middle of the Bible, isn't it? you don't know Isaiah 53, please get acquainted. It's quite nice. Everybody there? Oh, sorry, I interrupted. Please go ahead. So these are the things that um, uh, I've said so far about Abraham, David, and Isaiah, and I'll come back to Daniel in a minute. Um, The Messiah was going to be this amazing person. It was going to be afflicted uh, for all of us, and that by his wounds we're going to be healed. He was going to take our sins, our pains. Have you ever experienced pain or suffering? It's part of life. Uh, In fact, as an older gentleman, I can assure you that you'll experience it more than once. I know a lot of other older people, and they've experienced it quite a bit. I think it's fairly routine. So let's brace ourselves as young men and women to know that there is a lot of pain and suffering in life. And that who's going to be the one that bears it with us? In Isaiah 53, we learn that it is the Lord. Do you want somebody who's fully capable and understands completely your pain and suffering? Look to the Lord for your help and your strength. Uh, I think one of the, the first major pains I had to deal with it was when I realized that um, my dad was an alcoholic. Anybody relate? Just kind of wiggle your head. Um, often the family of the alcoholic are the last people to, to realize what's going on. But anyway, that was really painful for me, and I had to go to a counselor, and it really helped that he was a Christian, and he kept sending me back to the Word of God. He said, Michael, define yourself and what life is all about in reality according to the Word of God. And then I had my best friend, Dana Black, die of brain cancer. Carol and I had just moved in 1981 to Ellensburg to take over the, the ministry here, and uh, he, uh, Dana and his wife, Lori, were uh, the directors of Campus Crusade for Christ, now called Crew, and so we kind of connected as, as directors of ministries, and then it wasn't too long t- and Dana died, and I just couldn't understand that, and I had to meet with uh, pastor quite a number of times to get that all worked out, and he kept pointing me back to the word of God. Back to the Word of God and reminded me that God, by His Spirit, would work with me and coach me, and He would really counsel me and get me through it. It says in Isaiah 53 that the Messiah would be pierced and crushed and wounded uh, wounded for our transgressions and iniquities. You say transgressions and iniquities all the time in everyday speech, right? Probably not. So. What do these words mean? I think we've got another slide up here. Uh, the Hebrew word for transgressions is uh, pesha or pasha. That would be cool if it was said that way. I didn't take the time to look it up. And iniquities is avon. And what do those things mean? Uh, mean pesha means um, to disobey intentionally. Now, do you know it's wrong to cheat on a test? Okay, so To disobey intentionally would be Pesha. Okay. um, Like to cheat on God by uh, intentionally doing something that you know he said not to, that would be Pesha. Uh, To uh, cheat on another person, that would be Pesha. Okay. um, uh, An example uh, of Pesha also might be to say you're going to come to core group, but you don't show up. You are not a person of your word. Uh, you intentionally disobeyed what you said with your word that you would do. That's pesha. That's a transgression. We need to be people of our word, people that can be counted on. Um, the word iniquities or avon uh, means injustice, uh, like do you guys know that you shouldn't run people down with your car? You should avoid that at all costs. Um, to run into somebody with your car is Avon. Uh, it's injustice. It's wrong. Um, what about running into somebody with your words? Our gossip behind their back or our defaming them publicly even when they're there. To run somebody over with our words, that kind of defamation, that's Avon. That's injustice. So to run into somebody with our words or actions, to hurt them, take advantage of them, or to cut them out or exclude them, that kind of thing is a bond. Yes. Unfortunately, we realize by this great age that we've achieved, maybe our 20s, that humans sin. We do wrong things. And the good news is that Messiah will bear our sins for us. He will also help us with all the pains and suffering that we go through as well. But here's, here's the dealio. He will not bear our sins unless we ask. He will not bear our pain and go through suffering with us unless we ask. And that means you have to have a conversation with God. You have to enter into relationship with him for these kind of wonderful promises to take place. So the Messiah is the one who wants a relationship with us. Just like God created Adam and Eve and put them in this perfect garden and provided for them and invited them into relationship with him, he wants to do the same thing today. But we've got to get to that place where we're willing to trust him a bit and start on that adventure. Or if we've already started in that relationship, we have to keep taking steps forward. Those of you who are in Christ already and believe him already, haven't you had to keep pushing forward in your courage and your trust and trying to build that relationship with him? Sure. And hasn't it been through the word of God that you mostly do that? You find out what the truth is. Hasn't it been hanging out with his people, talking to each other about it, processing together? Yes, it's all about that. Okay, and then, uh, and Daniel, um, who's got Daniel 12, 1 through 3? You can go back to slide 4, Dan. Daniel 12, 1 through 3. Yeah, go ahead. At that time, Michael. Who? Michael. No, no <laughs> not me. <laughs> you. So the prophet Daniel uh, looks forward to that great day when people will be resurrected from the dead, just like Jesus. Did you know that Jesus was crucified on the cross to take away our sins, that he was buried? He predicted he'd rise again on the third day from the grave. And did you know that historically happened? That is a real deal that historians say, yes, that did happen. There's a lot of proof for that. And the Bible also says that He is the first to do that. But one day, every human being will rise in the general resurrection. Is that amazing? That is amazing that our bodies will somehow reanimate all our molecules, will find each other again. And, yeah, this is a hope. And that there will be a division at that time between those who trust in the Lord and those who do not. Who, Okay, so who is this Messiah that Mark told us about? Uh, the whole good news, the whole message that Mark was going to write about, the rescue story where there's a Messiah who is also the Son of God. We've learned that he is the one who would bring God's blessing back to humankind and take away the curse. He's the king who would rule over the earth forever. Um, he's the servant of God who would take away our sins He's the first human to be resurrected from the grave. Who? Okay. I think we have time to get to the last point. Yes, it says I have five minutes. That's amazing. Wow. I'm really cooking through this. Okay, back to Mark chapter 1 again, if you would. Is it okay if I just kind of dump all this Bible study on you tonight? Okay. So the good news that Mark tells us about, this rescue plan that Mark tells us about in his gospel is that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. And what does Mark mean by the Son of God? A couple of things. Um, Did you know that when Jesus was alive, it was during the Roman Empire? Okay. Okay. Did you know that if you look at all the archaeology at the time of Jesus in Palestine where Jesus lived and did his ministry, it's Roman? Okay, you can see that. And did you know that during the Roman Empire, um, the kings uh, or the emperors or the Caesars who led the Roman Empire um, called themselves the son of God? Okay, now you know if you didn't know that. Caesar called himself the son of God. Of course, this happened also in Egypt and other ancient cultures as well. Kings would claim this special uh, relationship with the divine, uh, probably to bolster their um, influence over people, okay? And Caesar was doing this as well. People would uh, have to say, Caesar is Lord. You had to say that. In much the same way, those of you who remember World War II, did you ever study about that in history? There was a guy named Hitler, and uh, you had to say Heil Hitler, which was just a, a way of using kind of a common greeting in German. Uh, a, but it was a way of acknowledging he was the supreme being. Everybody would do a salute. And so uh, it's. St- I think there's still some dictators that probably uh, do things like that, like, Who's that guy over in North Korea? I think, I think they ca- call him Dear Father. Yeah, so stuff like that's been going on. So who is this son of God that Mark's writing about? Well, it's not Caesar. The true son of God or the true supreme authority, the true king over all the earth, the true ruler of an endless empire quite contrary or in quite in contrast to Caesar's, is Jesus. So Mark is saying some very radical political, uh, sociological, and theological things when he starts off in his very beginning sentences saying that Jesus is the Son of God. That's incredible. No one on earth can claim that title is what Mark is telling us. That is one of the messages that we bring to this earth as followers of the Messiah is that nobody else can claim that kind of authority on the earth. So if Caesar said you have to say Jesus, not Jesus, Caesar is Lord and he claimed to be this great somebody. What about us who say that Jesus is Lord? Jesus is the son of God. For followers of Jesus, for us, there is no higher authority. Think about all the authorities in your life. For us, there is no higher authority. He is to be obeyed and exalted above other humans, even mom. Even dad, even professors, coaches, even the music department. (coughs) True, it's quite true. Um, He is higher than any other cause, any other political party, any other religious denomination. We have lots of affiliations like this. That are important. I'm not putting them down. I'm just saying Jesus is superior. That is part of the message. Jesus is supreme authority. Our allegiance is to him first and highest. We obey him. If there's any conflict between Jesus and what somebody else, what some other authority is saying, we go with Jesus. Yeah. So that is my dump truck full that I have backed up. Let loose on you tonight. In conclusion, I think it's always good to review your notes that you've just scribbled down because somebody was kind enough to give us a notebook and a pen. Some of us brought journals, you know, 10 extra points for you. Um, review your notes ha, right on time. Pew. Review your notes so that you are sure that you are grasping what God is trying to get through to you tonight. And to us tonight, what's he saying about Chi Alpha Christian Fellowship, our days at Central? What's he saying to you? Just review your notes for a couple minutes as the worship team comes up, would you? Just look down at your notes, see if you can remember what God's saying to you.